even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Psalm 23, 4 and 5 Today I thank you, God, for being my waymaker. Sometimes I just don't know which way to go. Sometimes I can't see my way forward. Or it seems like there is no way. It feels impossible. But nothing is impossible with you. You point out the road for me. You lead me in the path that you have prepared for me. You go before me. You are the God who saves me. Because of you, I can overcome any obstacle. I can climb the highest heights. I can keep moving forward. I can accomplish every task you have given me. I can fulfill every plan and purpose you have for me. Even in the face of adversity, I stand strong. I stand tall. Your power flows through me. You make me a mighty warrior in your kingdom and for your glory. Today, anxious thoughts will not trouble me. Fear and doubt have no hold on me. My mind is clear. My heart is full. And my path lies open before me. With every step I proclaim your goodness, faithfulness, and love. I will declare your victory. I will give you all my praise. And I pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me today. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for the Heroes in the Bible podcast. Before we begin, be sure to follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you're updated on the newest episodes as they become available. So where do we begin? Well, we do not begin with David at all. In fact, his name isn't even mentioned until later. First, we will begin this and every story with a prelude, a tale from another point in time that carries hidden messages for us. Then, we will begin our journey by meeting an old prophet named Samuel. He is the final judge of Israel, tasked with finding a king for the fallen children of God. The first king of Israel seems on the outside to be noble, strong, and worthy of the throne. But there is only one worthy to sit on the throne. 
There is only one true king of Israel. Prelude to chapter 1 It was a brutal and agonizing slaughter. The men of Israel were thrown around like dogs at the hands of the Philistines. Their blades thrust through Israelite flesh swiftly and without mercy. There was no hope for them to recover their position. Every man was doomed to either die under the sword of the enemy or flee like cowards into the wilderness. Thirty thousand soldiers of the Lord's army lay dead in the valley, with crows pecking at their rotting flesh in the hot sun. They had begun the battle hopeful. Their swords were sharpened and their armor glimmered in the sunlight. After several defeats to the Philistines, they chose to bring in the Ark of the Covenant, the manifest presence of God and a symbol of His companionship with the nation of Israel. They shouted war cries of victory as they paraded the Ark of God before the Philistines. They had lost many battles and decided to use God's presence as a tool of fear and boasting. They thought if they had the Ark of the Covenant in battle with them, that God would somehow condone their arrogance. They wanted the appearance of holy strength without the devotion to the one who was holy and strong. They were gravely mistaken. Their songs of victory quickly turned into agonizing screams, and the Ark of God stood in the midst of the battle overlooking the downfall of Israel. God would not give favor to the proud exploits of selfish men. He would not grant Israel victory, but allow them to sit in the results of their arrogance. The Ark rested on a hill above the battlefield ready to be taken by the enemy. The Philistines plowed through Israel's defenses and made their way to the Ark. They had once trembled in fear at the thought of Israel's God. He was the God who defeated Egypt and parted seas. Yet the high of vanquishing their enemy had left them irreverent. They took the ark to the city of Ashdod, leaving behind thousands of dead Israelite bodies. They placed it in the temple of Dagon, one of their many gods. The Philistines made a mockery of God by placing him at the altar of their God. In their pride, they deceived themselves into thinking they had defeated the God of Israel. They, too, were gravely mistaken. The Philistines awoke to the statue of Dagon, laying down at the feet of the ark, with its head and hands cut clean off. God would not bow to a man-made image. God's hand was heavy against the Philistines. The people of Ashdod broke out in cancerous tumors. Strong men were utterly undone by the very presence of God in their city. Afraid, they sent the ark to another Philistine city, Gath. They too were given the kiss of death, having tumors boil up from within which killed the strongest men among them. Every city God was brought to, the people were afflicted. They feared the presence of the ark. Out of fear, the ark was returned to Israel. Despite Israel's pride and arrogance, God was able to vanquish their enemy. No army, no commander, and no king could ever replace the almighty hand of God. He was their defender, not their trophy. He was their Lord, not their magician. The people of Israel were in desperate need of guidance and humility. They needed a leader to transform their hearts and connect them to the righteous heart of God. The Lord would raise up such a leader. However, he would not be the leader they expected. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome to the Epic Adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few people know David the man. What we are about to explore in this epic adventure of a man after God's own heart, but this adventure is not without its tragedy. David's life is a glorious reminder. It is better to have a heart of gold than a sword of steel. However, David's life is also a warning. The glory of a man is fleeting, but the glory of God is forever. The ultimate beauty of David's story is that it's not really about David at all, but God. As the legend of the giant slayer unfolds, we will see that he is not really the main character of this saga. He is not the ultimate hero, the mighty king, or the promised deliverer people hope for. David is but a shadow of things promised. His story is a whisper in the wind, foretelling of an even greater hero to come. David's story, in its essence, foreshadows the story of Jesus. He is merely a fractured image of the greatness that awaits humanity in Christ. As this epic unfolds, look past the glamour of war and see into the future. With every twist and turn of David's life, look for the promise of greater redemption. Chapter 1. A Rejected God Samuel sat beside the fire watching the embers slowly shrink under the cold sky. The red coals reflected on the eyes of his sons, Joel and Abijah. The three of them meditated in silence, allowing the wintry bite of night to enter their lungs. The young men shivered in place, but their father remained motionless. His brow was furrowed and concentrated. He was straining for answers from God. He had judged Israel faithfully and acted as a representative of his will to the people for many years. Yet now, his time as their leader was drawing to a close. Like many judges before him, he had held the honor of ministering to God's people. He was not their ruler or their king. He was simply a man to look to as an example, and a person to intercede on the people's behalf. God had raised up many judges before him. Some were men and women of valor and wisdom, like Othniel and Dinah. Others were unassuming like Gideon or brash like Samson. Each served their own purpose, and each were used by God to deliver his people from harm. Yet it was always God who saved them. It was always God who led them and kept them safe. 
A few of the coals popped, waking Samuel from his trance. He looked up at his shivering sons. Their breath could be seen like smoke in the frigid air. He peered at them through the flames and poked the coals with his staff. Are you able to keep the coals burning? Samuel asked. His voice was deep and sonorous. Even in his old age, his voice maintained its resonant authority. It was as if the words of God flowed out of his mouth from a deep cavern. Joel and Abijah looked at each other and smirked. They had hoped this day would come. Their father was going to appoint them as judges over Israel. The two of them sat up dutifully and nodded. We are, father. You may rest assured that God's people will be cared for. Samuel looked at them intently and nodded. His face was impassive and unreadable. He took the end of his staff and poked a burning coal. A coal can burn as long as it lives within the flame, Samuel said. His sons watched as he nudged the coal away from the fire. Its flame disappeared almost immediately, and its red hue slowly faded within moments. Samuel picked up the warm coal and handed it to his sons. Keep the coal in the flame, he said. With those words, he commissioned his sons to judge over Israel. It was unorthodox for a son to take the place of his father as judge. It was typically God who chose his heroes and rose them up. However, Israel was at a crossroads. Their ongoing conflict with the Philistines left them vulnerable, and they were in need of strong leaders to guide them. Joel and Abijah took on the mantle of judge with enthusiasm, yet their hearts were filled with selfish ambition. Their lust for power and greed had fogged their vision, making them irreverent of the sacred position given to them. Months passed, and the already corrupt people of Israel had grown tired of Joel and Abijah as judges. They received bribes from wealthy criminals to turn a blind eye to their crimes. They bent the law of God to serve their own selfish purposes, and allowed the weak and helpless of the community to suffer. They could not have been more different than their father Samuel. Their perverted sense of justice had caused a great deal of suffering for the twelve tribes of Israel. All the elders from all twelve tribes met in Ramah to discuss and debate the future of their country. They are a disgrace, one of the elders exclaimed. The flames flickered loudly and swayed to the breeze coming in from the window. The room was large and arrayed with hand-woven wool rugs and tapestries. Each elder reclined in his place, listening to each other's pleas. Joel has been bought by some of the most powerful and corrupt men in our nation. Abijah takes the bribes gladly and fills his stomach with foreign meats and wines. Who appointed these men as judges over us? They have no heart, they have no strength, another declared. Other nations have strong kings over them. They are men of power and authority, another shouted. We have no one to lead us. That is why we keep losing our battles to the Philistines. That is why we lost the Ark. The men stirred in the room. Into the night they complained about the state of their nation. In all their ramblings, they did not pray. They did not bow and cry out to God for help. In the corner of the room, listening silently to the grumblings of the elders, was Samuel. He reclined with his back pressed against the wall and his staff firmly set in his hands, propping him up. He listened, but he did not look at them. His eyes were set solely on one coal that had fallen beside the fire. As the elders shouted, the coal's bright red hue dimmed and fizzled out. Samuel looked up to see all twelve elders watching him. Samuel, they said, your sons do not walk as you do. They are dishonorable and filled with greed. They do not possess what we need to thrive as a nation. The time has come 
for you to appoint a king. Samuel stood upright and puffed out his chest. His eyes darted at them with righteous anger. Although Samuel was old and well advanced in years, he still carried himself with authority. The Spirit of God came upon him, and the elders stepped back in fear when they sensed him. Is not the Lord your king? Has he not delivered you time and time again? Samuel asked sternly. The elders shrunk back at Samuel's questioning. We no longer want random judges rising up to protect us. We desire a king to lead us into battle and create the law of the land. Samuel was teeming with anger. He stormed out of the room and stepped outside. The stars were set firmly in the skies. He looked up and considered the promise made by Moses long ago. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. He thought about the ultimate prophet God would raise up to lead them. He longed for his coming and prayed for it. Samuel knew that there could be no king that would lead them like God could, with compassion, strength, mercy, and justice. Samuel fell to his knees and gripped the grass with his fists. He prayed for answers. He knew the elders would not relent with their requests. He felt a great sense of rejection from them, even though it was his sons, not him, they were rejecting. A gentle breeze slid down the hill and over Samuel's shoulder. In the quietness of night, he heard the voice of God speak. Give them what they have asked for, he said. Samuel cocked his head in confusion. Obey the voice of the people in all they request of you. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me from being king over them. From the day I brought them out of slavery in Egypt, they have forsaken me and sought after other gods. Since the very beginning, they have left me for others. Samuel's eyes filled with tears as he heard the heart of God. The Lord had done so much for them, yet they desired another to lead them. A king was just another golden calf to them, a counterfeit replacement for God. The wind whistled down slopey hills and whipped up dust around Samuel. He heard God speak again, saying, Obey the people. Only solemnly warn them and tell them what will happen if they appoint a king. The next day, Samuel stood in front of the elders and a multitude of people. Thousands of people flocked to demand a king. One of the elders stepped forward to speak, but Samuel raised his hand to silence him. He walked to the platform in front of the people and sat. So you want a king? He asked. They nodded in response. Samuel dipped his head and sighed. You say you want a king. Fair enough. I will tell you what a king will do. He will take your sons and draft them to ride his chariots and polish his armory. They will ride into battle before him and die brutally before he even enters the battlefield. He will appoint commanders of thousands, hundreds, and fifties. They will parade themselves in the streets like gods and require your unwavering subservience to their egos. He will appoint others to plow his ground and reap his harvest to prepare food for his vast armies. The blacksmiths will be taken to make tools of war, and your daughters will be taken to cook for his men. You and your family will labor hard in the fields, vineyards, and olive groves, but he will tax you 
and give it to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain, your wine, and your money to fund his officers, councilmen, and servants. He will recruit the best of your male and female workers. He will take the best of your livestock and breed your donkeys to put them to work. And after this precious king of yours has created a nation and army that revolves around his own personal economy, you will find yourselves with less grain, lost sons, and taxed income. Then you will cry out to God to deliver you from this king that you have chosen. But he will not answer you, because it is what you have asked for. This is what a king will do. Do you understand? The elders sat in silence for a long time. They looked at each other, considering what Samuel had just said. Finally, they all nodded in agreement and stood up. Give us a king, Samuel, they said. We need to compete with other nations. We need someone to fight our battles. Every person stood and shouted for a king. Samuel's eyes lifted to heaven. He closed his eyes, listening for the voice of God. Obey their voice. Give them a king, he said. Samuel could sense the heart of a rejected God. However, he knew that the Lord of heaven and earth would never agree without a plan for redemption in mind. Samuel stood high and lifted his arms in the air. Go every man to his own city, he shouted. I shall search for your king. Residing in the grassy plains rolling through the region of Benjamin was the house of Kish, a wealthy Benjamite farmer and merchant. His land had been passed down from his great-great-grandfather and stretched far towards the border of Ephraim. Under the harsh eastern sun working on a broken fence near the stables was Saul, the son of Kish. His broad shoulders lifted a brand new post and lodged it into the hole in the ground. Sweat dripped from his head down the curves of his back muscles. He picked up the post that had been broken the night before and rested it on his shoulder. He carried it down to the woodpile to make firewood. He picked up his axe and began to chop. A few of the young women slowly passed by with pails of water resting over their heads. It was a daily ritual to watch Saul work. He stood a head taller than all the other men in his tribe. Not only was he broad and strong, but he was also handsome and well-liked. Even women from the other tribes knew of the handsome and strapping son of Kish. Saul continued to chop the post into smaller pieces, pretending not to notice the wandering eyes of women passing from the well. He smirked, rose the axe above his head, and swung down with force and grace. Just as he was about to finish, Saul heard a call from his father's house. Saul! Kish shouted. What is the meaning of this? Saul looked up to see his father touching the new wooden post he had dug into the ground. Saul wiped his brow and left his axe lodged into the wood. The donkeys somehow broke the fence, father, Saul replied, gesturing to the broken post he was chopping. I've repaired the fence, but many of the donkeys seem to have gone missing. Kish nodded and looked in the distance. Let's hope they haven't gone far. Quick, take one of the young workers and go look for the donkeys. Saul nodded put on a shirt, and gathered a few of his belongings. A newly tanned waterskin, some dried figs, bread, and a seal of his father's ownership over the donkeys. He and the servant Tabby made their way up the hill country surrounding his father's estate. They soon realized the donkeys must have ventured farther into the next region. They pressed forward to the hill country of Ephraim. It was lush with new spring blooms, and the gentle midday breeze carried the fragrance of wildflowers. Saul stretched his arms wide and took a deep breath. He was pleased to be away from his father's home, 
even if it was for a tedious task like tracking donkeys. Saul and his servant walked through Shalisha and Shalim, inquiring about the missing donkeys. Everyone was eager to speak to Saul, for he held a good reputation in the land as a skilled fighter and charismatic personality. The women especially enjoyed his company. In every town Saul walked into, he had many eyes fixed on him. He carried himself humbly, but in his heart of hearts, he loved the attention. The donkeys were neither in Shalisha or Shalim, so Saul and Tabby hiked beyond the hills into Zuf. The sun had begun its descent from the highest place in the sky, and Saul knew they had only a certain amount of daylight left. We should return, Saul murmured. Come, let us return before my father becomes more concerned about us than the donkeys. Tavi took a look around and held up his hand to block the sun. He pointed to the nearby city nestled in the hillside. I know this place, Tavi said excitedly. One of the merchants told me there is a man of God here in the city. He is held in high esteem. According to him, everything he says comes to pass. Would such a prophet care about a few donkeys? Saul scoffed. How would we know if we do not ask? Tabby jested. We are already here. What is the harm in spending another hour finding him? Saul looked down at the city and shrugged. What do we have to bring him? We have no offering to give him for his services. Tavi looked despondent for a moment, but quickly raised his head in realization. Ah, I may have something. Tavi reached into the bottom of his sack and pulled out a small piece of cloth. It was tattered and stained, and as Tavi unfolded it, Saul could see a quarter of a shekel of silver. I've had this for a while, said Tavi. I will give it to the seer, and he will tell us what we need to know. Saul was amazed at Tavi. He, being only a worker in his father's household, was willing to lay down a very precious sum of money so they might retrieve the donkeys. It warmed his heart, and he honored him too much to refuse his generosity. Well done, Tavi. Let us go into the city and inquire about this man of God. The two men made their way down the slopes of the hills outside the city until they came upon a well. Several young women were drawing water into large clay jars strapped to bronze to carry them down the hill. Saul leaned against the stone perimeter of the well and met one of the women's gaze. Greetings, sister, Saul said joyfully. His smile was charming and bright. It caught the young woman off guard, causing her to spill water on her garment. She blushed and began to frantically dry off. The other women giggled. Saul handed her a cloth from his sack. We are here to speak with the seer, a man of God. Is he here? The woman blushed and smiled. Oh, yes, she said. Uh, he is just ahead of you, uh, but you must be swift. He has only come to the city because the people have a sacrifice today in the high place. I have no doubt if you enter the city, people will be able to tell you where he is. The people do not eat until he comes down from the sacrifice. After he returns, all who are invited to feast with him eat. Saul bowed in gratitude and made his way to the city entrance. As he entered, he stumbled upon an old man draped in robes. Sir... Do you know where I might be able to find the seer? Samuel looked up at the tall and handsome man standing before him. His shoulders were set backwards, puffing out his large chest and tight stomach. His beard was perfectly trimmed up to his rich dark hair. He had the frame of a warrior and the deep voice of a commander. Before he could answer the young man, the Lord whispered in his ear, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you, Samuel. This is the man who will... Restrain my people. Just a day prior, God had spoken to Samuel, saying, Tomorrow, at this time, 
I will send you a man from the tribe of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be king over my people Israel. He shall save them from the hand of the Philistines, just as the people have wanted. Samuel said nothing. He scanned the man from his toes to the top of his head. Everything about Saul's appearance was kingly. Even his voice had a resounding tone to it. Samuel gave a brief smile and said, I am the seer. Saul looked perplexed when he answered. Samuel wore no extravagant robes or necklace of jewels. He seemed on the outside to be an ordinary old man. However, when he spoke, there was power and authority behind his words. Samuel began to walk away and gestured for Saul and Tabby to follow. Come with me, the old prophet said. Go into the high place where I have made the sacrifice. There you will share a meal with me, and in the morning I shall tell you what you need to know. Saul was taken back by the prophet's invitation. He treated him as if he had met him before. Great seer, all I have come to ask is... Your donkeys are fine and well, Saul, son of Kish. Samuel interrupted. They were found shortly after you departed on your journey. Saul and Tabby looked at each other in dismay. How did this man already know their needs? Samuel sensed their discomfort and ignored it. He spoke matter-of-factly, saying, There are other matters to discuss, for you are the one whom all of Israel has been pining after. Saul halted and stopped following Samuel. Why are you speaking to me this way? Saul asked. I am surely not worthy to eat with you, or have you say these things to me? Am I not from the tribe of Benjamin, the least of the tribes of Israel? And my father is from the most humble of clans in Benjamin. I am nobody. I am not worthy. Saul's false humility did not fool Samuel. His father was a rich and prominent man in the tribe of Benjamin. Surely he did not feel unworthy, but only that he needed to accept the invitation with humility. Samuel took note of this and continued to guide the two men to a high place for a meal. Saul entered the large home on the top of the hill. Torches laced the perimeter of a large dining hall where thirty guests reclined at a long wooden table. The smell of cooked meat and herbs filled the room, and Saul had finally realized how hungry he really was. Samuel led him to the front of the table. On his way, many men greeted Saul and introduced themselves. Saul bowed in humility being sure to have Samuel notice his modesty. Samuel sat at the seat right at the head of the table. He then gestured for Saul to sit at the very head. It was an astonishing gesture to have a stranger sit at the head of your table. It was reserved for the host or a guest of great honor or royalty. Saul was confused by Samuel's hospitality and wondered what the old prophet was thinking. Although Samuel gave Saul the most esteemed place at the table and the best portions of food, his face remained impassive. He seemed almost apathetic to his presence. Instead of engaging with Saul, he simply leaned back and listened to others ask him questions. Saul could not help but think he was being tested. That night, Samuel led Saul and his servant down the hill back into the city. The light of day had disappeared, and the moon's silvery light guided the men to Samuel's temporary home. I have made a place for you to sleep, Samuel said. Rest here for the night and tomorrow I will send you off. A bed had been made for Saul on the roof. A single lamp was lit at the head of it. He bowed to Samuel with gratitude and tucked into bed. Tavi slept not too far away on the other side of the rooftop. Saul lay awake looking at the moon that night. His heart beat fast in anticipation for the next morning. He did not know why, 
but he felt as if his life was about to change forever. Dawn broke over the hills, scattering light across the green plains. The darkness of night was slowly melting away above Saul's head when he felt the prodding of Samuel's foot on his shoulder. Saul looked up to see the old man standing over him. Arise, Saul. It is time for you to return home. Saul rubbed his eyes and stretched. There was a tinge of disappointment. He was sure that there had been some reason for Samuel's hospitality. Saul did not want to leave without an explanation. The three of them walked towards the gate. The morning light had spread slowly across the horizon, and people were beginning to emerge from their homes to start their day. Saul watched merchants set up their shops and women depart with jars to the well. As they approached the gates, Samuel tugged on Saul's robe. Remain here for a moment, Saul, and tell your servant to continue. You'll catch up to him. Saul did as he was told, so it was just him and the prophet standing alone. Samuel led them both by the stream that curved around the city. Sit, he said shortly. Saul took a seat on a smooth stone at the edge of the water. Samuel took a flask of oil out of his robe and removed the top. Saul watched curiously as the old prophet whispered into the oil and closed his eyes. He was praying, but not in the way Saul had known prayer. Samuel was speaking to God as if he was dwelling within his own heart and mind. He noticed his hands holding the flask. Most men his age had trembling hands. They were unsteady and shaking. However, Samuel's hands were not trembling. They held the oil firmly, purposefully raising the flask above Saul's head. As the prophet prayed, Saul could feel the oil being poured onto his head. The fragrant oil dripped down Saul's hair and shoulders. Samuel grabbed his face and kissed his forehead. He looked at him with an intense gaze and said, The Lord has anointed you, Saul. You shall reign over God's people. You will save them from the enemies that rage at their borders and seek their heads. This oil shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you and called you over his children. Saul looked up at Samuel with watery eyes. He was without words and unable to keep his hands from shaking. He could not help but smile and shake his head. How can this be? he whispered. Arise, Samuel said. Depart from me today and return towards the house of your father. On your way you will meet two men. They will inform you that your father's donkeys have been found. After this, you will go further until you reach the Oak of Tabor. There, three men will be going up to make sacrifices to God at Bethel. One will be carrying three young goats, the other will have three loaves of bread, and the other will carry a skin of wine. These men will greet you and give you two loaves of bread for your journey. Why are you telling me these things? Saul asked. If I did not tell you, they would simply be random happenings on the road back home. Since I have told you these things will happen, it gives my words more weight when they come to pass. This is your confirmation that the Lord has made you king. After these things you shall go to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of enemy Philistines currently stationed. As soon as you come near the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harms, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. Samuel paused for a moment and bent down to Saul. His eyes met his, and they were locked for what seemed like minutes. The Spirit of the Lord is moving, Saul. Samuel gestured to the rushing stream beside them. He is moving and rushing like these waters. He will rush upon you, and you will prophesy to these men. As you worship and pray, 
you will feel yourself change into a new man. Saul gulped and nodded. He was unsure of how to receive what Samuel was telling him. He felt honored and terrified at the same time. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. He opened his eyes and looked at Samuel intently. What will come after this? he asked. Samuel lifted Saul up to his feet and grabbed his shoulders. Do what you see fit, he responded. God is with you. He will guide you. However, you will be expected to meet me at Gilgal. I am coming down to offer a sacrifice. You will wait seven days, and then I shall tell you what to do. So Samuel dismissed Saul, and everything he had declared came to pass. With each passing sign, Saul felt his heart changing. The confirmation of God's calling on his life began to create genuine humility and awe in him. As he marched up the hill to worship with the prophets, he felt a rush of God's Spirit upon him. He began to proclaim the justice, mercy, and goodness of God, and all who knew Saul previously stood in amazement. After his long journey, with a transformed heart resounding within him like a trumpet, Saul returned home. The sun was setting, and Saul could feel the favor of God going before him with every step. He had always walked taller than the rest of his brothers. His shoulders were always able to carry heavier loads, and his legs could run longer distances. However, at this moment, Saul had never felt so strong. The Spirit of God had anointed him, and he could feel within him a fire burning for justice and righteousness. He entered past the gates of his father's pastures, eager to tell them all that had happened. He entered the warm home where stew cooked over an open flame. Saul's uncle was sitting near the embers, enjoying the savory aroma. Saul embraced his uncle and sat down next to him. We departed to find the lost donkeys, he said with a smile. When we did not find them, we sought Samuel the prophet. His uncle leaned in close. His gaze was intense and serious. You met the man of God himself? he asked. What was he like? What did he tell you? Saul was about to answer. Then he heard a coal in the fire pop and fall off in the pit. He stared at it, mesmerized by the flickering light. He took his foot and flicked it back into the fire. Saul looked at his uncle and chuckled. Uh, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. So we made our way back here. A waste of time. After this, Saul sat down and enjoyed a meal with his family. He did not tell anyone of his encounter with the prophet. He allowed the truth of God to simmer in his heart for a little longer. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Samuel stood once again in front of the elders of Israel. The 12 elders, each representing the 12 tribes, came before him eagerly awaiting a response to their demands. Have you found us a king? They asked. Samuel's eyes darted forward. He scoffed. You mean, have I found you a slave master you so desperately desire? No, I've done nothing. However, the Lord in his mercy has decided to give you the desires of your hearts, even if they do lead you down a treacherous path. The elders ignored Samuel's disdain and awaited an actual answer to their question. Samuel rubbed his temple and said, 
Go to your tribes. Every man, woman, and child shall meet me at Mizpah. Be sure that everyone is present, for the Lord will reveal his chosen king. The men left excitedly, but Samuel was still grieved by their unrepentant hearts. Even after meeting Saul, he remained resolute that a king was a bad decision. To accept a king was to reject their God. However, as the Lord commanded, Samuel went before the people at Mizpah. Samuel scanned the sea of faces before him. Hundreds of thousands hung in suspense, waiting for the last judge of Israel to proclaim a new era of rule in Israel. Samuel rose his hands up high to silence the crowd. The silent tension was thick enough to cut with a knife. Out of the quietude, Samuel spoke with a trumpeting voice of a prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I am the one who saved you from captivity in Egypt. I delivered you from the grips of slavery in the kingdom that oppressed you. But today you have rejected the God who has saved you from so many calamities and distresses. You have asked for a king to replace him. A soft breeze came up behind Samuel. It cooled his heightened anger towards the people. He breathed in deeply and said, Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Samuel watched as the people shifted and moved to organize into clans and tribes. The elders were sure to organize and dictate where all should stand at attention. Saul was clumped in among the tribe of Benjamin, in the tribe of the Matrites. He watched as his brother and fellow clansmen looked at one another eagerly. They wondered if they were going to be selected. However, Saul knew what the result would be, and he felt a sense of dread fall upon him, not for the mantle of king, but for the attention of all the people. Samuel reached into his robes and pulled out a sack filled with twelve smooth stones with markings carved into them. Each was distinctly different from the other. They were lots, and often used to determine the will of God. Samuel cast the lots onto the floor. The stone of Benjamin was selected. So he brought the tribe of Benjamin near. He organized them by clans and cast lots again. The clan of the Matrites was selected. Saul's heart began to pound in his chest. Out of pure anxiety, Saul shifted his feet to hide behind one of the carts filled with farming equipment. Saul stood with his back against the cart, listening to Samuel reject several of the families within his clan. Finally, the family of Kish was selected, and Saul heard Samuel say his name. Saul! Where is Saul? Samuel asked. Saul was frozen in place behind the cart. He pounded the back of his head against it, thinking about running. But before he had a chance to run, a hand grabbed his shoulder. It was his uncle. Here he is! The people applauded as Saul walked towards the front where Samuel was standing. They cheered and awed at how large he was. They saw his broad shoulders and strong arms. They saw his chiseled jaw and dark beard. He was everything they desired in a king. He had the appearance of strength. He had the body of a king, and they cared very little about the heart that dwelled within it. Saul stepped up to the platform beside Samuel. The old prophet bowed his head and gave a weary smile. He turned to the crowd and pointed to Saul, saying, Look upon the one the Lord has chosen. A cacophony of praise erupted from the entire nation. The sound of trumpets filled the air, and the shouts of adoration flooded Saul's heart. The praise that was once given to God was now thrust upon Saul. Long live the king! They shouted. 
Long live King Saul! They proclaimed. As songs were sung and instruments were played, a small voice emerged from within Saul's mind. Its whisper was nearly silent, but sharp and powerful. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Powerful. Saul's own pride was beginning to creep into his heart. Israel's first king has been chosen. The people wanted a ruler to lead them, and Saul certainly seems to fit the part. But one of the themes in this episode is that looks can be deceiving. The prelude shows us that you can't simply manufacture the favor of God and force him to bless you. The people of Israel paraded the Ark of the Covenant out like a weapon and a sign of intimidation. They wanted the appearance of victory, thinking it would somehow move the hand of God to fight for them. They were gravely mistaken. Now we meet Saul, a strapping young man with broad shoulders and a commanding presence. He looked like a king, acts like a king, and even carries himself with that false humility we see in a lot of athletes and politicians. But what about his heart? Well, we know nothing about his heart. In fact, his heart for God isn't mentioned at all. Saul is this polished image of what people think a king should look like. But we have no idea what's going on in his mind or heart. Is he passionate about God's people? Does he take the law of God seriously? What about his prayer life or willingness to yield when corrected? We know none of these things because Saul is meant to represent the hollowness of worldly leaders, all image with no substance. Samuel, however, knows better. He warns the people of Israel that the office of king is flawed to begin with, since whoever becomes king is going to be taking the place of God in their lives. Up until now, Israel was ruled by God and the elders of the tribes of Israel. Occasionally, when Israel was in a bind, he would raise up judges to save them. This system worked, and it continually brought them back to God when things were difficult. They relied on him for everything, and he was always faithful. The book of Judges, which took place right before this episode, revealed to us the faithfulness of God despite human brokenness. Who is this promised leader, prophet, and deliverer that is whispered about in the prelude and by Samuel? Is it 
Saul? Is it going to be David? Asking these questions places us in the minds of the early Hebrews. These people were in constant anticipation of this promised leader spoken about by Moses and foreshadowed in Genesis. They were eagerly waiting for a chosen hero, handpicked by God to deliver them and lead them. It stands to reason that, at this point in the story, many Jews were thinking that Saul might be the one. They will be disappointed, obviously, but honestly, they will be disappointed with David as well. As great and mighty as David becomes, he doesn't hold a candle to God's true deliverer. One of the key themes in this entire series is going to be that a greater prophet than Samuel, a greater king than Saul, and a greater hero than David is coming. But what is Israel supposed to do while they wait for this great prophet? Dozens of evil nations surround Israel, armed with chariots ridden by warrior kings and legendary commanders. Who wouldn't be intimidated by that? Israel wants to feel like they can measure up to those other nations with a strong king to represent them in battle, trade, and peace negotiations. The ancient world is evolving, and Israel can feel themselves falling behind. But there's an issue with who they seek out for answers. They don't see God sacrifice to him or pray to him for answers. Instead, they outsource the job to Samuel, expecting him to figure it out for them. They don't want to do the spiritual legwork it takes to get answers, probably because they know what they are doing is wrong. The elders of Israel ignore their responsibility to seek God and give the task to Samuel. The elders also ignore their responsibility to lead the people and give the task to Saul. There is a perpetual shirking of duty in exchange for the easy way. Unfortunately for them, God is going to give them exactly what they want. He honors their request and works with Samuel to find Israel a king. The choice by God to honor Israel's request can cause us to pause and ask a few questions. Why does God give them what they ask for, especially when he knows it's bad for them? Certainly he doesn't always do that, so why now? There are several correct answers to these questions, but let's explore just one. Sometimes our hearts are revealed only when we get precisely what we ask for. Think about people who have sold their souls at the altar of business and enterprise only to succeed and find out that it was all meaningless. Think about athletes who devoted their entire lives to be at the top of their game only to be reminded of its futility and inability to bring them happiness. Think about yourself and the things you may have obsessed over that drew you away from God and others. Did you feel satisfied when you finally got what you wanted? Or did you feel a sense of emptiness? That emptiness is a signal to us that what we want is not always what we need. There are many lessons learned when we pursue the wrong thing and get to the end of that journey. Samuel tells the people exactly what will happen if they pursue a king. He warns them that a king will bring more restraint than freedom. This is often what sin does to us. We pursue it, think it will somehow fulfill us and give us freedom, but we end up more enslaved than before. It is God's desire to bring us freedom, not constraint. Within his will and his presence, we are meant to find purpose and liberty. Let's end by talking about God's presence. Maybe you picked up on some subtle imagery used in this first episode. It is an image used several times in this series. It is the image of the coal in the fire. 
When Samuel is encouraging his sons in the beginning of the episode, he talks about a fire. He asks them if they are able to keep the coals burning and goes on to say, a coal can burn as long as it lives within the flame. Keep the coal in the flame. He says this to remind his sons and us as the listeners that no one can rule the nation of Israel outside the presence of God. The closer a ruler is to the flame, the longer and brighter he will burn. But the second someone removes themselves from the presence of God, they will lose their heat like the coal that burns out. Did you notice the flame in other parts of the episode? Samuel watched a coal pop loose from the fire when the elders were asking for a king. Nobody noticed and the coal slowly dimmed. This represented the heart of Israel being lost outside the presence of God. A coal also fell out of the fire when Saul was speaking with his uncle. Only the coal did not burn out. Instead, Saul kicked the coal back into the fire. This represents Saul's current state with God. Saul is at a high in his life right now and close enough to the heart of God. The remaining question in the next few episodes is this. Will Saul be able to keep the coals burning? For now, he seems to be exactly what Israel wants. But is that what God wants? Will Saul allow the voice of God to guide him? Will Saul submit to the law of God and the advice of Samuel? Or will the coal lose its light apart from the flame? The end of the episode teases a small serpent-like voice slithering into the scene. The pride of the throne will soon come for Saul's heart. Will he give in to pride or rise above it? Those are going to be some questions we explore in the next episode. We will watch Saul's ascension as a mighty king and even find ourselves rooting for him. However, as I mentioned before this episode, there's only one worthy to sit on the throne. There's only one true king of Israel. It is not Samuel, it is not Saul, and it will not be David. The only king worthy to sit on the throne of Israel and our hearts is Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, download the Pray.com app. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right as they are released. God bless. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.